Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Max Minute, where we're having second thoughts about skipping out on Mad Max 2 The Road Warrior one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 59, which begins with the mechanic working on the rig, and it ends with Arky finding she's unwilling to leave everyone behind. Happy Thanksgiving, Julia! Happy Thanksgiving back! (laughs) It is the last Thursday in November, and so it is time for America to celebrate the distinctly American holiday of Thanksgiving. For our international listeners, I went and copied a paragraph of text off of Wikipedia to let you know a little bit about this American tradition. In the United States, the modern Thanksgiving holiday tradition is traced to a sparsely documented 1621 celebration at Plymouth in present-day Massachusetts, and also to a well-recorded 1619 event in Virginia. The 1621 Plymouth Feast and Thanksgiving was prompted by a good harvest, Pilgrims and Puritans, who began emigrating from England in the 1620s and 1630s, carried the tradition of days of fasting and concluded with a religious celebration as dictated by the group's charter from the London Company, which specifically required that the day of our ship's arrival at the place assigned in the land of Virginia shall be yearly and perpetually kept holy as a day of thanksgiving to Almighty God. In Australia, Thanksgiving is not celebrated because there are no Puritans that went to Australia. However, Thanksgiving is observed on the Australian external territory of Norfolk Island. It's celebrated on a different day than it is celebrated in America, but the reason it's there is because of American whaling ships that arrived on the island, shared it with the people that were there, and it stuck. So it is the yearly instance where we gather family from all over, pile them onto one table, and have dinner inexplicably at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which I think is too late for lunch, too early for dinner. It's just awkward. The time of day that we insist that we all sit down and eat a meal that is just way too big. You should talk to your mother, who is hosting Thanksgiving this year, and ask her to start at noon. Yes! Although, that would be Thanksgiving lunch. You know what? When it comes to Thanksgiving, there is a weird thing with semantics. It's always Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. And people always have it early because there's other things to do. You've got the Thanksgiving Day Parade sponsored by the Macy's Company in the morning. You've got football games all night. You've got people that are ravenously preparing for the capitalist holiday known as Black Friday the next day. (laughs) So it's just an awkward series of events. The time frame of it confounds me. (laughs) Yeah, I think it happens at two o'clock. One reason is because it is such a large meal. So you have the rest of the afternoon to like relax and let your body digest. Growing up, I can't remember about what time I don't remember if we were a two o'clock type family. I think we were because in the evening when we were hungry again, we would pull out the leftovers Mm -hmm. and that was the best part. Yeah. That's the part that I remember enjoying is pulling the leftovers out. (laughs) But that doesn't happen at your parents' house. No, my mom loves making appetizers. And so nine times out of 10, we'll show up 
at 10? Yeah. And we'll start eating appetizers. And then three, four hours later, when the turkey's done, we'll be so stuffed on appetizers that there's no room left for the actual meal. And the meal is like a main thing of turkey and like seven different side dishes. Oh, yeah. Your parents are good at Thanksgiving. Oh, it's just so much. Just so much. And I'm like thankful for sure because that's the entire point of the holiday the idea that you gather together as a family and share what you're thankful for and it's a day of reflection and whatnot but it's also a day of just that feeling of oh why did i even bother wearing a belt and when is it why am i not wearing sweatpants yeah when is it acceptable to change into sweatpants (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say it's a sticky holiday and then i'm like yeah that's definitely true compared depending on what kind of desserts you have at the dinner table but that's an entirely different thing <laughs> oh <laughs> it might be one of the great examples of american excess yes mm-hmm. i think that is definitely one reason why we have that reputation around the world but at the same time what family doesn't want to have that norman rockwell-esque picture of the table decked out in food with the big old turkey getting put down in the middle of it it's very americana definitely it is yes it's certainly not something you would ever see in the mad max series no and that pretty much means that we'll never get an appropriate thanksgiving episode like we had with our halloween episode at least the halloween episode was dark and scary and whatnot the thanksgiving episode not so much oh I have a an appropriate Thanksgiving connection to this minute. Oh? The very last line of this minute is Archie Whitley's character realizing that this is her family. Oh, that's right. And that's perfect because Thanksgiving doesn't necessarily have to mean that you sit down with your siblings and your parents and nieces and nephews and kids and all the perfect family tree sitting around a table. It's sitting down with your loved ones. By the end of this minute, Arky realizes that this is her family. There you go. You saved us. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. We start off this minute with the shot of the mechanic and another dweller just arm deep in the engine of the rig. They are trying to fix all of the problems that were listed at the end of last week. They were given the 12-hour time frame to fix it at the beginning of this week, and they are trying their darndest to get that thing running. Elsewhere in the compound, though, there are two people specifically that aren't running around trying to help everybody be ready to leave. It's the gyro captain and Arky Whitley's character who appear to be, I would say, sneaking through the compound. Oh yeah, they're definitely sneaking away. Yeah, it's apparent to me that the gyro captain has decided that instead of sticking around and helping the compound dwellers with their flight from the compound through the horde, that he and Arky Whitley's character are going to hop in the gyrocopter and just fly away. The gyro captain, he's not invested in this group of people in any way. He... The only reason he's there is because he's invested in Matt. And so he followed Max to the compound. Yep. And he landed where Max landed. He just barely met these people. Yeah. The idea of him and Arky slipping away is something that he never even considered before that morning. Right. He has no problem, you know, morally, has no problem with leaving. To him, he feels like, well, of course... Of course I need to leave. Everybody else is leaving. I need to leave too. Yeah. And his it's natural for him to take care of himself. So why would he leave with the rest of the group? 
Plus, the curmudgeon pretty much said, hey, this flying machine, it can take two, right? And then the gyro captain met Arky, and the fact that they're sneaking off together kind of tells me that they hit it off, that they found some sort of commonality between them, some sort of, for lack of a better term, maybe spark that would cause the two of them to get to the point where the gyro captain's like, hey, let's fly away and not stick around for all of the fighting. It occurs to me that when the curmudgeon asked, can this machine take two, that his intention was to get Arky to leave before anything else happened. Before the violence, yeah. Yes. So that begs the question, why are they sneaking? The gyro captain should be able to just come and go as he pleases. Although Max also should have been able to come and go as he pleases, and that didn't happen. There's a definite feeling of a negative stigma about not helping out. Mm. When you're part of a group, when you're part of a family, and everyone's working towards a singular goal, Arky's looking to cut and run. And of course, everybody there is working hard, and if they saw the gyro captain and Arky Whitley sneaking off, they're going to give him a hard time. And I'm pretty sure Arky wants to avoid any possibility of getting chastised. Yes, and I agree with you, except for the fact that her father figure, the curmudgeon, intended for this to happen. Yeah, but only the curmudgeon intended for that to happen. That doesn't protect them from ridicule from everybody else. Right, she still has other people, other authority figures in the compound to answer to. Exactly. So they get to a certain point, and Arky just stops, and she turns around, and she's looking back into the compound, and we get this shot looking past, I think it's the red truck, past a couple of tents. You can see Zeta standing up by the lone wolf. He's still barking orders to people. The last half of this minute is just Arky and the gyro captain. She's standing there. She's looking back at the compound. Gyro captain notices that she's not right behind him anymore, and so he comes back, and he asks her, what's wrong? Come on. And the gyro captain's girl, as she's known in the script, it says, it just seems really wrong sneaking away like this. And the gyro captain says, what? But you said you wanted to come, sweetheart. And she says, I know I did. But then he says, look, you're scared. Now, come on. It'll be much safer up there. What are we waiting for, eh? When he says, what are you waiting for? He kind of pulls at her a little bit. And she says, no, don't. This is my family. I can really sympathize with Arky's position here. It happens to me a lot where I'm thinking of something, a decision. I need to make and I make the decision and then I think about it again you know a few days later or something I'm like I can't remember why I made that previous decision I see it a completely different way now and it's just a little bit of time has passed and my perspective has changed that my decision now is completely different mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened to her she thought she knew what she wanted based on the information she had at the time now that it actually comes to it she's like wait no this isn't this isn't what I want what I like about this interaction between the two of them is the blocking, the way the characters move around in the scene, because Arky Whitley pretty much stands still, but the gyro captain and how he behaves is what stood out to me, because, you know, it's Bruce Spence, he's a huge guy, it's hard to avoid him in a scene. But it starts out with the gyro captain walking over and he places his hand on Arky's shoulder and he gives it a little bit of a tug to say, come on. And when he feels her resisting him, instead of tugging and pulling her away, he comes up beside her to listen to what she has to say. He's got one arm around her and another hand placed on her shoulder here. She starts to tell him, you know, that she's having these second 
thoughts. And so he basically goes through and says, okay, you made this decision earlier. What's changed? What's different? She's having trouble articulating what she wants to say. And so the gyro captain says, okay, listen, it's nerves. It's no problem. Yeah, the gyrocopter is really janky and probably not super safe, but I, got, I know what I'm doing. And he goes to lead her with his arm around her to walk her back. But she says, no, don't. And he immediately stops pulling at her. And it's that specifically that they are still really fresh in their relationship. They just barely met each other. And the gyrocopter is the kind of guy that is not going to physically force her to do anything. He is going to listen to what she has to say and respect her decision. I think you can read into this a, a scenario on consent. Yes. That you can parallel with any other type of consent. At first she said, yes, this is what she wanted. But before she went through with it, she changed her mind. And she's allowed to change her mind. And he questioned her changing her mind. And they had a somewhat conversation about her changing her mind. And he stopped trying. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how that's supposed to go. Yeah. I feel like he's a little justified in asking for an explanation. But he didn't do it in such a way that it was angry or coercing. He basically said, hey, this is what you told me before. I'm just repeating it back to you so you know where I'm coming from and what my understanding is. You know, this is the information I'm operating on. And he gives her the opportunity to get to that point where she can just articulate, this is my family. And she's going to continue that tomorrow, but he's not the kind of person where it's like, well, you said yes once, that's the be-all, end-all, you don't get to choose now. Which is, of course, ridiculous. Exactly. When you say it that way, that sounds absolutely ridiculous that you, you, you can't do that. So I think it's a good opportunity to see... That the gyro captain is just a good guy. Yes. You know? Sometimes he comes across as creepy or weird. Those teeth do not help. Nope. They really, really don't. But at the end of the day, he's a good person. Mm -hmm. I heard something interesting right around second 41. The subtitles say that the gyro captain says, what? With a question mark. But you said you wanted to come, sweetheart. However, if you're actually listening to the minute and you've got it turned up, he does this weird exhale thing before he starts talking. And it sounds to me like Bruce Spence is saying Arky, the actress's name, in this scene. Mm. And it sounds to me that as they were running through their lines, he said Arky. But you said you wanted to come, sweetheart. And I feel a little justified calling her Arky all these times. Yeah, definitely. Because I will take that little tiny exhaled <laughs> soundbite as justification for doing it. Absolutely. Yes, I, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so do you think if Arky and the gyro captain fly up in the gyrocopter that they would actually be safer than Arky hanging around? I've been wondering about that. I'm not really sure. I mean, the marauders have ranged weapons. Right. And especially since now they know the gyrocopter exists, they'd be better prepared to defend against it and attack it. Mm -hmm. Reminds me of the Borg from Star Trek. Okay. Because when you present them with a weapon that they've never seen before, it damages them. But then the next time you hit them with that same weapon, it no longer damages them because now they've experienced it. They know it exists and they 
update their system to defend against it. So it only works the first time. And I'm kind of worried that the gyrocopter only worked the first time. Mm-hmm. That if he were to go up there again, they would shoot him down. We're going to see, I think, mid next week sometime how quickly the horde is able to react to any sort of engine sound that they hear coming out of the compound Mm -hmm. so i think you're right that the gyrocopter going up in the air being weighed down with two people instead of just one would definitely be a slower easier to pick off target for the horde however the agility of the gyrocopter to outmaneuver the horde would definitely be an asset to them they could just pick a direction that doesn't have the horde in it and fly that way but if you ignore the danger of the horde, the question still stands, is it safer up there? Because then it would just be the two of them going out into the wasteland to, I guess, do what the gyro captain's always been doing. Just going around, searching for fuel left and right, and not having much of a future. Right, which would be, I think, disappointing to Arky because she's been doing all of this work with the intention of someday getting to this great northern tribe, she has to choose either her safety right now or this long-term goal of getting to the great northern tribes. Yeah. One thing that's not laid out in this interaction is whether or not they're actually intending to go off on their own, like I suggested, or if they're intending to fly ahead of the rest of the compound dwellers, like you were talking about with her long-term goal, was the idea that they would fly out ahead of the compound and scout the route or something like that. The fact that they were carrying all of these things in their bindles and whatnot makes me think that they were going to fly off on their own. It's another one of those instances where we don't get a ton of details because ultimately those details don't matter. Right. Because of the decision they're going to make tomorrow. Yes. I also question if the copter could take off with two people. Yeah. In such a small space. Because a gyrocopter needs to take off like an airplane. Yeah. It needs to accelerate through the air to be able to lift off. Well, I mean, we've got... This is the magic one. We were talking the other day how it can hover... And land and carry two people and whatnot. So assuming that this is the magic auto gyro that has hovering and vertical takeoff possibilities, they probably could take off in that small instance. But you raise a good point. How fast would it be able to take off? We know that it could fly with two people. Yes. Based on what we've seen in the movie, we didn't see it take off. So we don't know what that was like. But we saw it carry two people. Plus fuel and a dog. Plus fuel and a dog. The screenplay makes note that it had a hard time. Yeah. So I I don't think it would be able to. Yeah, because it does seem a little stuffed off in a corner. I mean, it's dark. It's hard to get a real sense of the layout that we're dealing with. But Yes. We haven't had a complete walkthrough of the compound, so we don't really know what is behind that particular tent besides the stored gyrocopter. Exactly. It could be another open space in the compound. This is going to be a rather short episode in the grand scheme of our podcast, but it, like I said, is Thanksgiving, so our American listeners will probably appreciate a shortened podcast so they could go back to hanging out with their families, watching the parade, watching football, eating too much food, and we'll come back for Fresh Eyes Friday tomorrow that you guys can listen to while you're sitting in a line outside a big box store waiting to fight the masses for that Porg action figure for your kid for Christmas morning. 
The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com click on the support link at the top of the page and check out our patreon to help us keep the tanks full thank you for joining us for minute 59 of the road warrior see you tomorrow